0: In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes cost much more than dollars, we bring you expertise from around the world to ensure that everyone goes home safe every day. The internationally acclaimed Oil & Gas HSE podcast starts now with your host, Russell Stewart.
1: Hey, everybody, thanks for tuning in to another episode of As You Just Heard That Beautiful British Voice Over Introducing the Show, the internationally acclaimed OGGN HSE podcast. And we are heard in over 100 countries. And we're sponsored by Anderson Hauser, a global leader in process automation and measurement instrumentation. Anderson Hauser, the people for process automation. We are indeed focused on making sure everyone comes home safe, and so today we have on the show Justin Overstreet. Justin is Vice President of Safety for Wildcat Oil Tools. Justin, thanks for taking the time to come on the show today.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me.
1: Okay, Justin, you're not exactly a novice in this HSE field, are you? Uh, No, sir. So how long have you been doing HSE?
2: I've been in a dedicated safety role, primarily in oil and gas service industry for over 20 years. And how'd you get started in that? Well, just like a lot of us do, it just kind of accidentally happened, pardon the pun, but I was working for my dad's company and I was handling, you know, a different department, but also, hey, could you handle the the safety for the group as well? And, you know, that back then was very rudimentary. It was playing videos and taking tests and making sure that your card was current and that was all out in Midland, Texas. That's where I was born and raised. And when you're born and raised in Midland, you end up doing oil and gas something. So just through the years, worked with my dad's company, left there, went to work for a friend of mine, was starting a, a business that was going to essentially handle all of the safety for all of the sister companies that we had in place at the time. And then it, they were also you know, expecting us to go out and get outside work. So generate revenue and Went there, built that program in terms of training program, primarily again for internal, but also external customers, and just moved up, you know, always looking for the next challenge. And young guy, I was pretty aggressive and I still am fairly aggressive, but, you know, just continued looking for opportunities and, and they never seemed in short supply. And also just really worked within companies to determine what gaps might exist and and always had an
1: interest in trying to close those gaps. Well, you know, you mentioned the way that you kind of rose up through the ranks because as I mentioned, you're now vice president of safety for Wildcat Oil Tools. But I picked up on the looking for looking for new challenges. And I would say to to folks in this business and quite frankly in any business if you do want to move up in the ranks that's what you have to constantly be doing is looking for new challenges not become complacent in your job otherwise you're going to probably you're probably going to stay there so that's very good advice and also if you're involved in in safety looking for new challenges is is also critical to your job because by doing so you'll find what you were talking about you'll find the gaps you can By doing so, make sure everyone comes home safe and you can have done your job well. Agreed. And I generally
2: tended to, you know, kind of be interested in process and, you know, what is the current process for X, right? And it didn't have to necessarily do with safety. And in doing that, I was able to find areas in the company that were, you know, running maybe not as efficiently as they could, you know, different places that I've worked, but primarily coming at it from a partnership perspective, which then kind of just ingratiated me to the operations team. And, you know, I always worked really, really hard to not be seen by the operations team as someone who was in an adversarial role, but somebody that was an advocate and really did everything I could to figure out a way to make their jobs, you know, less complicated, because they're complicated enough for sure.
1: That may be worth the price of admission for the ticket to this show today, that one concept, that one idea that you can, from a safety perspective, you can look at processes and try to make them more efficient because you're actually making them safer.
2: That's correct. And so much of what we do anyway is process-driven, whether you're building a a policy or procedure, you're building a training program, or you're looking at the root cause of an incident or a near a near miss or, or whatever, it's all so process driven because you're looking, you know, what started the ball rolling and ultimately what's the end outcome and how did we get there? And so if if you're looking at it by way of example for training, you say, okay, you start with the objective, what you want the objective to be, and then you map out how to get there And and business processes aren't any different. And so you're able to Take a lot of the natural skill set that safety representatives have, and make yourself a much more valuable asset to the company than just a safety guy.
1: Well, you're absolutely correct, and and just to kind of expand upon this, I was actually interviewing, I believe, a friend of yours yesterday, Jeff Peoples. One of the fascinating things we talked about was his company manufactures PPE, and their biggest item is glove our gloves is gloves and what was interesting was when he started this company he took a year and a half to design these gloves with the idea being that the, the biggest problem with gloves is is well two things the dexterity part and so as a result you know people take them off and people don't wear them and then the second thing is is they're either not properly fitted or properly constructed and so they they actually even if they are on You know, they don't, they don't work properly. And so he took a year and a half to, to design and figure that out. But as we were talking about that, we got to talking about that buzzword. We always use in this industry, the, the culture, you know, the, the safety culture and the importance of that. And as we were talking about that, and this was actually after we went offline on the interview, he said, you know, you need to, you need to talk to my buddy, Justin Overstreet. He has some interesting ideas about creating this safety culture so that's why i wanted to have you come on the show today justin and so let me let me just turn it over to you and why don't you just take us through your concept of that process
2: sure and i really appreciate jeff setting me up so that there's pressure on me now to come up with a real answer (laughs) to that
1: question right no 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 pressure
2: justin yeah no worries i'll make sure i get jeff on the phone after this and say hey man Thanks. Thanks for overselling me a bit. <laughs> really, I think what it, what you're asking is, you know, how do you go from just being your run of the mill, you know, safety, lack of a better term, safety cop that's just going out and looking for who's not wearing hard hats or, you know, what, you know, inspections and, and things like that. And those are critical and those things do need to happen. Those things are very, very low hanging fruit when it comes to actually altering the course of a company when it comes to their safety overall those things are in a lot of ways they're just kind of layups right you can always you can always find them unless you can really start to affect culture and the way that i've worked to do that is by really embracing the idea that you know we're all adults and as adults we're expected to conduct ourselves in a certain way and i'd never have thought that it's the right thing to do to you know handhold anyone and that goes for operations, that goes for any other safety reps that I've had report to me at times, that goes with anything. And the idea behind that is if you are an adult and you're getting paid you know, to do adult things, then be an adult. And if I say, if someone says, hey, you know, this makes sense to do it this way, then you need to evaluate whether it makes sense for your operation to do it that way. And if it doesn't, then it's my role as an advocate, like I mentioned before, for you in operations to work with you directly to make that a usable process or tool. So I've always viewed my role, even when I was in a technician role, even when I was going and filling fire extinguishers and I was doing the, the inspections and the audits like we talk about, I still viewed my role in that capacity. What is the purpose of me doing this? Is it just the, the mechanics of filling this fire extinguisher and making sure that if a fire happens, it can be put out in you know, a relatively short amount of time? Sure. That's one aspect of it. Or is it while I'm out there to talk to everyone, learn who they are, be genuinely interested in that person and find out what their pain points are with the safety program or with the company in general? Then you bring that information back, you assimilate it into what you're doing on a day-to-day basis, and you start making decisions on how you're going to guide the performance of the company, particularly from a safety perspective, but also from a, you know, hey, they've also mentioned these things or, you know, let's look at doing things this way. And a lot of the ways I would do it is I would just put something out there, right? So if they came in and said, you know, whatever it was, like, man, we're really having trouble integrating such and such report system through this particular software package. Well, then I would come back and I would start really kind of looking into that. And I would say, okay, well, here are some things that we can do to improve the efficiency of that. And oh, by the way, that also we can use in these ways to enhance our safety program. So I would always try to tie something back to safety, even though what I was really doing is looking in a lot of ways to affect systemic change throughout, which ultimately then creates a truly bought in culture because you're really having to work with all of the components of the company. And then going back to the previous statement about everybody being adults, you've got to rely on everyone once you've gone to have those conversations, then they've got to kind of hold up their end of the bargain, right? And you can't do that for them.
1: And so what's your ideas on accomplishing that?
2: Sure. And that's going to be very unique depending on the organization and kind of where they are in terms of their their overall culture. I can speak for Wildcat. At Wildcat, we've got a great culture. And some of that was just innate. When I got here, I I joined the company in June of 2018.
1: And how big is Wildcat? How big is Wildcat? So Wildcat,
2: we have operations in the Permian Basin, Southeast New Mexico, Oklahoma, South Texas, Pennsylvania. And then we have some overseas stuff as well. From an employee standpoint, we've been as, as high as... You know, two sixty, almost three hundred, and and then now we're we're down a bit, just like everybody else. But you know, sure, it's a sure, it's a good size sure. company. Lots of equipment heavy. Right. It's a rental company, so it's not as personnel laden. Though we we have introduced some additional services such as wireline, through tubing, those types of things that that do have a bit more personnel attached to them. But still, with that, you've got all the maintenance of the equipment, all the maintenance personnel that are associated with that type of activity. And you still got to work through those types of things. But at Wildcat, I was really fortunate to come into a situation where most of the management team had come from larger companies like you know, BTI or Schlumberger or Cameron or you know companies that had a lot of process in place. So it wasn't, I wasn't necessarily to, having to go through the process of selling them on the idea of why safety was important or why this particular you know, concept was you know, crucial for what they were doing. It was more of a hey, you need to get it, getting them comfortable with me on a personal level, and again, the way that I do that is by having real conversations with people and, and genuinely being interested in who they are and and where they came from, and, and really trying to get them to tell me what it is they need things to to do better in terms of process. So when I came in, I first step was to evaluate all of the policies and procedures, and at that time, I, I discovered it had been quite a bit since they'd been refreshed, and so that was step one. I just refreshed everything. And in doing that, I was able to really work with a lot of those guys, you know, right away and developed a real comfort level with them because it wasn't like, okay, guys, here's everything I need you to do. And here are 200 forms that accomplish that. We sat down, we had a conversation around how can we, what forms are we using currently? And are they used often? And if they are used often, Are there duplicate forms somewhere else that look different and and just kind of go through that whole purging activity to make sure that those guys understood, I'm not looking to make your stuff complicated. I'm looking to really streamline this thing and make it clean. The idea behind that is I've always understood the concept of the management team owns safety for their team. If I say safety is owned by you, manager, then it's my job inherently in that to give them all of the resources and tools necessary to own that. And I've never understood quite the concept of, hey, we're going to put a safety guy in every single field office. And, and that is one way that you can do safety, so to speak. But by doing that, it's always seemed to me that that is, you're setting a really weird double standard. You're saying, hey, sa- hey manager, I need you to own safety. And oh, by the way, here's a safety guy for you or safety person for you. And that person that you put over safety for that yard, they're going to want to do a good job. So they're going to want a safety person. And, and then the manager is going to let that person do that type of stuff. They're going to let them conduct safety meetings. They're going to let them do the audits. They're going to let them do all of that type of thing. When the reality of it is, you know, Hey manager, you need to do that. And it's on me as a safety professional to give you every resource and tool available to do that. And I've never built those tools or those resources with me in mind, I build them with them in mind, and that's really you know what I think has served me well and and kind of helped me to distinguish myself in a certain way across any company that I've ever worked for.
1: Well, I think you bring valuable insight into this, and and for those who are listening who are HSE professionals or, or HSE managers, I really think you can take away a lot from this, Justin. You don't have to worry about. Calling Jeff and and giving him a hard time because you've done an excellent job of presenting this. In fact, even if you're not in HSE, what you've done is 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 you've and you said it was for lack of a better term, but I actually think it was a great term when you used the term safety cop. And so you know what you're saying is is we got to go from that that safety cop mentality to to really you know basic business management principles. Because these are the kinds of things where you go in and, you know, you review the whole system, you refresh it, you purge it, you, you streamline it, you put your managers in place to make sure that they own whatever the situation is. I mean, you know, they own their particular part of the company that they're responsible for, and they own safety in it at the same time. And then you give them the tools and the resources to do it. And that just kind of, that just kind of nails it. and. That's what any company that wants to be a profitable, efficient, and safe needs to do.
2: Yeah, I agree. And safety cop is the term that is generally used to describe, you know, the person that is, you know, carrying the clipboard and doing those things. And they're like, I don't want people to think I don't see value in that. There, there is value in that, and I do some of that. I don't do a tremendous amount of that because, I again, like I said, in, in terms of true ownership, I expect all of us to understand what that means and. You know I'll own everything that I'm responsible for owning, just like I expect you to and and we worked really really well together and and Wildcat's been a fantastic company from culture standpoint of you know just really all of us working together and, you know I go back to a company I worked for before you know they were starting to grow and they were looking to enhance their safety program, which meant they were looking to hire their first safety guy <laughs> right <And> so <laughs> And so the guy that interviewed me, I I reported to the chief operating officer in that company as a guy named John Richards. And John asked me, he said, you know, in, in, during the interview, what else can you do other than safety? And it was right in my wheelhouse because that's something, you know, like I mentioned before, anywhere I've been, I've always looked for what else can be done here. And I don't want to be known as just a safety guy. I just want to be known as a part of the team. And in doing that, when he asked me that question, my answer to him was, you know, John, I'll, I'll do anything that you ask me to do as long as you give me an opportunity to learn it first. So I've been very, very blessed throughout my career to have people who allowed me to really, you know, stretch out and do things that were, you know, maybe on the periphery of safety, but not directly safety and allow me the opportunity to learn those things and then take that knowledge and and build on it. And so I would say that You know, anyone that's listening to this, if if you're fortunate enough to be a part of a team that, you know, you've got people that will allow you to kind of stretch out and do those things, take full advantage of that. Because if you don't, the only thing you're doing is
1: shortchanging yourself. Well, that's absolutely right. So there you go, folks. Justin, again, I appreciate you coming on the show today. This has been short, but it's been impactful. This has really been some of the best information we've put out there. Well, since the last podcast. But anyway,
0: <laughs>
1: thanks to everyone for listening. Please tune in again next week for another episode of Anderson Hauser's Oil and & Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Anderson Hauser is your reliable U.S.-based partner for measurement instrumentation, services, and solutions. We are your people for process automation. Discover more about Anderson Hauser at our website, posted in the show notes. Register for our monthly podcast giveaway there. Also, follow us on LinkedIn and twitter and that contact info you can also find in the show notes please leave us a review on itunes there were a couple of really nice ones i saw yesterday and i really appreciate it tell your friends about us by posting on all your social media and see you next time
0: Hey, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the events on deck for May 2021. This month, we have four events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our online events newsletter. We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. First up, we have our in-person event, which is the 20YPO's networking mixer at the Houston Club on May 25th. Next, we have our three online events, the Post-Industrial Summit Series from May 4th to June 22nd, the Data Fabric and Data Ops webinar on May 5th, and the Maritime Career Day hosted by Women Offshore on May 21st. Other than these events, OGGN has a live stream this month titled Identifying and Evaluating Advantage Oil Projects on May 5th. So make sure to check that out on our Facebook, LinkedIn, or OGGN.com for more information. You can also find more information about that or any of the live streams or events we have coming up also on Facebook, LinkedIn, or OGGN.com. If you have any questions about these events or any of our shows, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for May. I hope you guys have a great month and thanks for tuning in. Tune in next week for another engaging episode of the Oil & Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.